my friends. Hello, hello. Hello, lovelies. So we know all educators have had this crazy year and a half, but can you imagine what it must be like to be superintendent through a pandemic? Oh, goodness gracious. No, I cannot. I don't know how he slept at night having to navigate so many opinions and thoughts about the right thing to do. Hey, Kate, don't you know Dr. Benrostro from way back? When he was principal of Centennial High School, he hired me. Um, that's how I came to Corona Norco. I remember feeling that Centennial was a really great place to be. Dr. Buenrostro and the AP at that time was so welcoming, which wasn't true for every school I was interviewing for. So I thank him for that. And you know what? My 14 year old was just four months old at the time of that interview. Oh man, time flies. I remember when I first interviewed for our district, I was pregnant with my oldest. Oh goodness. And she's in college in her sophomore year now. Hmm. Well, I'm significantly younger than both of you. So I don't have those <laughs> stories. Um, anywho, Ivy, you and Anne-Marie had the chance to talk with Dr. B for this episode. I had to leave early, so I'm really eager to hear your chat. Yes, well, he took over as our superintendent just last year. And even though we've seen him, you know, throughout the district, this was a great opportunity to sit down and chat with him and ask him what it's been like to lead in such a tumultuous time. We want to thank you for joining us today. You know, as educators in this school district, seeing you as the Ed Chat, We've already had the benefit of getting to know you, uh, particularly in the various capacities you've served in over the years in our district. But can you tell our listeners today a bit about yourself and really the breadth of your background in the field of education? Because it's pretty broad. Okay, well, first of all, thank you for being here, all of you. I think extremely highly of every single one of you. I know you personally, so thank you so much. Thank you. You make a great team. started as an instructional aide for adult education back in, in Santa Ana, um, back in the 80s, mid-80s. Still was going to college at the time, still for trying to figure out what I was going to do, and not till I got a new uh, supervisor who came in, and one day he said, hey, so you're, uh, you're studying to be a teacher in college. And I said, oh, that's an option. I never <laughs> thought about education. So, and, and, but I know that I was, I was, I knew then early on, and I was still young in my 20s, I knew that I wanted to work with teenagers because that's the, I just love teenagers. And, 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 and I was also working with teenagers in uh, uh, youth park and recreation programs. Hmm. So as far as uh, my education career, I, I finished up at Chapman University. Back then, it was called Chapman College, <laughs> and back in the 80s, so I uh, finished up my degree there and started teaching high school, and I was also teaching in the evenings. Uh, by the way, I remember my first salary, my first salary back in the day was $22,000 to be a teacher, oh and I thought, yes, I think I can make my house payment, <laughs> okay, and that's, and, 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 uh, so started teaching there and then and kind of moonlighting and I was doing the uh, uh, teaching adult education. I was a teacher teaching ESL, English as a second language. So fast forward, I also had a passion for coaching soccer and being involved with teenagers and, and activities and those types of things that make a high schools or the secondary schools, you know, really happen. So um, got involved with that. Went back to my alma mater, which was Santa Ana High School, and I taught there for a couple of years. And uh, actually, my second year teaching, uh, I had been dating my my wife now, Sandra, for eight years. So we we got married. I was 25 then. 
and I, but I was li I, and I moved to Corona, so I was commuting on the 91 freeway like a lot of folks do, and um, and I told myself because I mentioned I was so passionate about soccer as well as I told myself if we win the CIF championship, I commuted I commuted two years into Santa Ana that I'm going to maybe look into the Corona Narco or the Riverside Unified School Districts and see if they'll hire me. And, and we did win a CIF championship. Uh -huh. And I said, I'll leave my alma mater when I, we're on top. And I cried when I left. Uh -huh. you know, I, I teared up. And, and uh, it was really hard. I, I, I actually had a couple of regrets there for a couple of years. But we know that there's kids to serve everywhere. So yes. I was in Riverside Unified for nine years, nine wonderful years. I was, uh, I taught, uh, I, I tell people, I taught everything, that, whatever the principal wanted me to teach, that's what I taught as a secondary. So I taught ESL, I taught social studies, language arts as well, and then I also did ASB, uh, student government. You know, I had uh, one opportunity after another, and I just loved doing what I, which was working with children. Uh, I got into administration, I met something that's critical, I met a mentor and who also became a coach to me, personal coach, and also became an advocate. And, and mm -hmm. so you need those folks, especially if you're going to go into administration. Mm -hmm. So that happened in Riverside. So when I came to Corona Norco 22 years ago, I was already an administrator. So I came in as an assistant principal, and I was there at Centennial High School for 12 wonderful years. And then I've been at the district office now. I want to say this is my... 10th year? I believe it's the 10th year here, okay. district office. So so here I am, loving everything that I do. Thank you for sharing that. And I, and I do mean that sincerely because a lot of times when we see leaders of, of, of large districts, we wonder, you know, well, how did they get to that position? And um, not just that, how much has added to their cachet and their knowledge and experience to be able to uh, really have the experience and the wherewithal to lead a, a large district, especially like ours. Um, but then also knowing that, I don't want to say you started at the bottom because I don't want to put a, a level to starting as a, an, um, an aide because those positions are so highly valued, especially right now. But to know that you have experienced each of those levels, I think is a, a quality to behold. That's Ivy's personal opinion, mm -hmm. listeners. <laughs> if I can add to that, because I think that along the way, being in a relationship uh, with, with you know, my spouse, my wife, and then having children, uh, that, that also added a new set of eyes, right, oh, yeah. as we look at education. Yeah. Uh, becoming an administrator, a principal, uh, uh, assistant principal, then a principal, then a director, and et cetera, et cetera. All along the way, you continue to, um, to gain through right. experience, mm -hmm. through uh, the, the stuff that we read in, 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 uh, at universities, the theory that really sometimes did not mean a whole lot. Now you start applying it when you get into your 30s or your 40s, mm -hmm. and everything starts making sense. And mm -hmm. then, you, and then along the way, you get empowered and, and you, you you truly discover who you are. And that's actually a great transition into our next question, which really talks about the changes in the field of education, and particularly um, all the changes that we've seen, kind of like in this pressure cooker. Um, since the onset of COVID-19 pandemic. And um, it was actually during this pandemic that you accepted the position of superintendent of our district. So can you share maybe a couple of tidbits 
um, with us and our listeners on what it was like walking into um, not just a leadership role, but like a, a, a leadership role with such responsibility and, and leading a huge ship um, during such a tumultuous time. A lot of factors that, that did help me during that difficult transition because of what you just added during the pandemic at the height mm-hmm. uh, of, of the pandemic. In fact, uh, we're looking at late October, early November mm-hmm. um, as we're approaching the, the holidays and thinking, okay, hopefully this is the bad, this is the highest peak. We got into Thanksgiving, into, into, into the winter break, and it just peaked, and, and, and it was scary. The hospitals were completely mm-hmm. full. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, uh, there, there was a time, and we were having loved ones, all of us knew people that had been exposed to COVID or dealing with it personally. And then you started hearing about, um, well, there, there might not be enough oxygen tanks mm-hmm. for people to help them breathe, people going to the hospital. Still unknowns about the COVID. So it was scary, right, in that respect, and, and a lot of uncertainties for everyone. You rely on uh, a couple of things. For me is I had a relationship with the Board of Education already, uh, years of, of, of working along with them and get them getting to know me, me getting to know them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been on executive cabinet now for 10 years, so so that helps a lot. I, I've been in a couple of different divisions. I know everybody in the superintendent's office, mm-hmm. everyone in human resources, the IT folks, the special education folks, the business folks, and then I was an instructional support. And then i very familiar with all the our community and the schools, having been a resident for over 30 years. So all those things, and of course, those relationships, really what I'm what I'm talking about, that helps you when you get a new job. We, you know, we've all heard it before. Is there an imposter syndrome? Like, mm. like I don't really know the job. When, and that's <laughs> and, and and we all go through mm-hmm. that. At this point in my career, recognizing that. When I know the culture of the district, don't have to worry about that. I can sh- shorten the learning curve, right? Okay. And I also work closely with Dr. Lin as a deputy superintendent for, mm-hmm. you know, four or five years. And I know the and, and I know the staff here in the superintendent's mm-hmm. office. So all those things help that piece. But but nevertheless, the the so that helped me being grounded into who I am and what we have to do and roll up the sleeves and go to work. But regardless. You're looking at uh, five board members that uh, are going through the most difficult, all of us, Mm -hmm. and challenging time. And there's a lot of pressure in the community. There's a lot of uncertainties in the community. And you're making decisions that no one got into this this field of education to make, right? Right. Whether you Mm -hmm. return kits or not. And then what about those hundreds and and thousands of families that are going to be affected or may not agree with your decision. Mm -hmm. And we were getting hundreds, and literally, I'm telling you, there were some days I would get 500 emails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so so the challenges were were real, and but you rely on on um, the man upstairs put you here for a reason, and, and you rely on your faith, and you rely on people, and because it is about relationships. And then at, at the end of the day, um, we make decisions, and I really listen to folks more than anything else. Listen to folks. Uh, I, I say this: you use your mind. Use your heart, but also use your experience, your gut, so that to make a decision, collective decision, and then we move forward. I'm sitting here imagining what it was like. <laughs> I, mean, I know what our emails look like right now, and they're out of control, but like 500 a day. I'm like, how do you even start sifting through that, you know? With this pandemic, there's also been a substantial turnover 
of not just teachers, but our classified staff, you know, not just in California, but across the nation of many people that have really gotten inundated, maybe not by the 500 emails, but with so many other pressures that are, are going on. In fact, we recently had a huge job fair for our very own district and we're actively hiring. So what qualities are you looking for in a classroom teacher, a classified employee, an administrator? Um, the hours will be long. The responsibilities will be great in any position, right? It involves children. You know, the most important commodity for, for any anyone, any parent. So it's important that they love children. And, and, and it's also um, important that they're willing, they're willing and want to learn. But yeah, you're willing, you're looking for the attitude, the attitude and, and folks that are willing to learn and, and, uh, and have that eagerness to learn. Regardless right now with the, with the whole pandemic, I think it's important someone that uh, can work with and understand to really listen to their body. Uh, and I'm talking about them because right now mental health and the physical health is so critical. But those are things that we can, um, that we can coach and mentor. So that willingness to be open for that is, is super important. Very much so, especially right now. It, it, being an administrator, we have teachers that are working so hard at my site, at sites across the district. They really, really are working hard. They're going above and beyond. And, and sometimes it is, just as an educator, no matter what role you're in, sometimes it's hard to press the pause button and recognize, okay, it's time for me to stop now. Self-care, stay in tune with my family, you know, take a moment to breathe. So I would definitely agree with, with all of those pieces. I'm being selfish and wanting to learn right now um, as a <laughs> new principal. With every new role where you become, whether, you know, a TSA to then assistant principal to a principal, the dynamic does change when you're in the room. And to recognize that it is, you know, this power dynamic. And as a leader, you need to know, you know, how the morale of your organization, how people are really feeling, what are they really thinking about, you know, ideas or uh, a plan for the next couple years. My question is, how do you ensure that the information you're receiving from people is really accurate? you know, they're being really transparent. They're not just giving you, oh, you know, everything's great. Oh, we rock, we're wonderful, woo. Because I was even talking to another teacher, I was telling her, oh my gosh, your classroom, it's looking so good. The students, they're really moving forward. And, and she made a comment that made me really think. And she said, well, you know, they act differently when you're there. And I thought, well, of course they do. You know, in my head, of course they do. And so then it's like, gosh, how do you really get this accurate picture even for evals and observations and feedback? But the bigger picture, how do you know that when you're asking your team or your people, you're getting the real deal? Well, for starters, we need to develop a culture, a team that feels comfortable telling you the truth. Mm. So it's important for the leader of the organization, the leader of the team, mm -hmm. right? The leader of the grade level, the, uh, the leader of the department. It's important that he or she establish uh, trust. Trust is not uh, given, it's earned. And also that there's clarity in communication, uh, that there's honesty. And we're agile as, as professionals. 
it starts there with those foundational mm -hmm. principles that we know um, ultimately involve the Maslow pieces, right? Mm -hmm. the, uh, that is foundational. And it starts with your team. So it, it, that team might be your classroom, your students. It would be, if you're an administrator, your, your secretarial staff. So when you have that trust, regardless of what your personality is, uh, it's going to go a long way. So when they tell you something, or when they tell you the good news, you can you, you take it, but you also need to be super sensitive and open to hear the news you don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. So I've I always told folks, it is uh, don't tell me what I want to hear, mm. tell me what I need to hear. And I remember if I can just share a, a story, mm -hmm. when I started administration a long time ago, I went home one day and I told my wife, you know. Um, the principal at this place asked me a question and I told her what she wanted to hear. I did not tell her the truth. And it bugged me. This principal trusted me more, more than anyone else. I became the right-hand person, if you will. But that's not good. I guess it underscored the importance of people need to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Because then you're not acting, you're not making decisions, getting back to your question. You're not making decisions based on everything that you're hearing, all right? Or sometimes, if, or if you're making decisions on what you're hearing, you might be wrong. So it starts there foundationally. Then from there is you need to be out there. You need to be out there walking around. You need to build that same trust with children. Oh, by the way, and that's not something that you say. The energy in your heart, we, we as humans, we talk to one another. I mean, my dog knows when I come home, if I'm happy or if I'm sad or how I'm feeling, right? And the tail starts wagging like, like crazy or what have you. But my point is we as humans know that the, the heart speaks. So if we love our craft and we love what I do, people are going to tell you the truth. And, and, if, and so you have that soft heart for people that you, are, you, you really want what's best for them. People are going to tell you the truth. So I communicate in those terms and I, I try to speak simplicity. I, I try to keep things real simple, foundational, because clarity is such a critical piece mm -hmm. in success of any team, any organization, and, and it starts with effective communication. That's true. I heard a slogan lately that was like, clarity is kindness. <laughs> and I thought, oh my yes. gosh, that's so true. Uh, coming into this role, we talked about the very uh, crazy times that were going on. I mean, with pandemic, there's the health crisis going on then there's the economic crisis with people losing jobs and then there was civil unrest going on you know throughout this time there's a lot of talk and discussion now regarding diversity equity and inclusion across the state and across our country so how do you define equity from an educational sense which is what we do i define it as finding children where they're at and then meeting their needs that they have whether it be their social emotional needs, whether it be their intellectual needs that they have, um, where they also may may have something to do with um, you know home environment issues, we just need to find children where they're at and then provide that support. That's the equity. I I, I like to uh, mention that uh, I've had parents, especially with the 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 push across the country about. Oh, are the are districts teaching CRT and mm -hmm. and you know what's this in, inclusive inclusivity and equity and diversity? That's CRT and and 
Um, so and and folks are hearing that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not there to try to convince them. However, uh, one thing that I have found uh, effective is I ask people, "Do you have children?" They said, "Yeah, I have children." How many do you have? Well, I have three children. I said, "Okay, um, are your children the same, or is there any, is there differences?" Well, there's differences. One thing that those folks will say, "It's not about equity; it's about equality." Mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, l- let me tell you how equity works. Mm-hmm. In our educational system, we do provide equality. We have a certificated teacher in every classroom. We have a Chromebook in every classroom. We have a counselor at every school. We make sure that we provide them uh, social-emotional support and academic rigor in every school. We make sure they have the textbook. That, th- that is equality. Mm-hmm. We do that. That's foundational, mm-hmm. right? That's important. I said, but let me go back to your three children. Do, do any of your children have needs? Yeah, they do. Okay. I said, yeah, my children had needs too. I said, let me tell you, I had a student that my, my oldest, he had ADD. He was just hyper. So, so we figured out, you know, work with the school and, and we provided him. Maybe you sit in the front. Maybe you get less distracted. Uh, make sure that, you know, we as parents have a responsibility to feed him well. The, the homework, we go through his backpack and we see that, you know, this papers you know, crumpled up and uh-huh, messed uh-huh. up and maybe a shoe or a, yeah. or a, a dirty sock or, or a, a, a having sandwich, right? My, my point is that, that we as parents and we, we provide that, that equity piece by helping that student and working with the school. That's what schools do as well. They provide that for that student that may need a 504, right? Or an SST. Mm-hmm. See, that's what we do. Then you may have another child that, that you think, oh, no, this one is perfect. He or she does their homework. I said, but along the lines, uh, do your children ever get depressed or do they ever, or do your children ever have and suffer from anxiety? Oh, yeah, they do. Well, guess what? That's that's equity too. We have counselors that can work with those children that have special needs like that because we all go through those mm-hmm. things. We're you know, we're human. We're 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 perfectly imperfect, right? Mm-hmm. So they said, okay, got it. I said, plus I have a daughter. And I'll use that as an example. That you know she was in cheer. She was in ASB. She was going to college from the very get go. She was in in, in MYP AP classes. As guess what? She has needs too. We have, again, equality is foundational, but equity because children are all unique and they all have individual needs, and that's where equity comes in. Then they say, got it. Now I understand it. How do you know, like, okay, equitable practices are occurring here? Is that something you can observe? Can you see it? Do you feel it? You know, what what would be those measures? Well, the answer is, as an experienced administrator, sure. You, 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 can, you can see it, you can feel it. You see a teacher who is passionate about, about working with children. Uh, in many cases, uh, you look at data, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, just this morning, we were having a presentation in cabinet. Uh, we're working with Norco College. Norco College has seen that when they look at their, their data, they get 63% of, of the students coming in are females. Mm-hmm. Only 37% are, are, are males. So, okay, that, that yeah. it, it points out some things. When they look at grades, you see that the African-American and Latino males are the ones that, that, are, that are suffering the most. And then they see, uh, for example, their high achievers um, will be our, our Asian population, which is, again, wonderful. But so what you're able to do in, as, as, uh, with equity practices mm-hmm. is identify those needs through data 
and then develop programs that will that will identify the needs, the the programs, the uh, enrichment or whatever interventions are needed for a certain population. As educators, we talk about data and there's different types of data and it's important to look at all various types of data. But then you also said something that is really crucial and I think we learned that just working mm -hmm. at the district was the disaggregation of data. So you break it apart as opposed to you know, the state and when, when people see the scores or whatever they're looking at as far as like a school, it usually is that average. Um, which doesn't tell the whole story. So if you are only looking at the average, it would be very difficult to diagnose, you know, different needs of different communities and such. Like, who is your program working for? And then what maybe you might need to tweak. That sounds right to me. Um, <laughs> all right. This is um, just, uh, uh, this was a question that I was asked in an interview before, and I want to see how you would answer it. Don't worry, it's not a competition. Um <laughs> If you could define yourself in three words, what might they be? Reflective, passionate, and focused. And no, no explanation needed, so that was good. After your work in education is done, so I don't know how long that might be for you, you've been in it a long time, what would you like your legacy to be? I think uh, all of us are are looking to make a difference um, each and every day with uh, uh, children and families. Um, so the legacy would be that he was at this school or this district or, or my teacher here and he connected with me. He, he made a difference. He was positive. He was supportive. He pushed us when we needed to be pushed. And, and he left this a better classroom, a better school, a better district. The, the most impactful administrators or bosses that I have had, it, it's, it, it wasn't always, you know, you're doing the greatest job all the time. Like they would let you, like you said, they were honest and they told you things you needed to hear so that you could step up your game and you could be better. And I think we remember those who have been the impetus of some sort of change in our lives as well. Yeah. We are here today because there was people in our lives that believed in us, yes. right? So it's important that uh, we believe in folks, uh, but it's also uh, important that we develop structures, right? whether it's a classroom teacher or an administrator or district uh, office uh, you know, director that we um, provide opportunities for folks to own the project right mm -hmm. to have ownership and we're not there to tell folks what to do because uh, that ownership piece is, is critical it empowers folks the era of i'm the boss i'm going to tell you what to do that in leadership and in, in sustainable leadership and building capacity in folks, that's not how it works. So with so many of the changes occurring in 21st century education and learning, what advice can you give to educators or families to try tomorrow, to try this week, and to try this month? I, I like the word try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like the word try. Mm -hmm. I said, uh, to try tomorrow is, is do something that you normally don't do. What I mean is, 
if you normally come home and you know go to the kitchen and get something to eat and and okay that's good but don't stay in your house maybe walk around the block maybe if you have a bike get on a bike right and and if if it's not dark get on a bike <laughs> and, and go around the block or what have you or walk to the your local park do something that you normally don't do this week if you haven't read a, a children's book, I got a children's book last week and I was reading it and I'm like, this is wonderful to go back and look at it from a child's perspective, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The world of possibilities and 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 how the author is, is pre presenting this book. I guess what I'm saying is, is try something that you haven't tried for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Try something. And as far as uh, the month, yeah, do something with your loved one and, and uh, go see a play especially now during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. Or go to the beach. Or if you're normally a person that loves the mountains, do something different, you know? Go to the beach. Mm -hmm. Or uh, get out. Get out and, and experience life. I think we need to do more of that, especially with our loved ones today, yeah, more than ever before. Well, I will go home and dust off my bike and my, <laughs> and my bell. <laughs> yeah. I, I, right. I have a bell. You have a little horn? I do. I, well, it's a bell. It's a bell. It's cool. Do you have a basket? I do have a basket, yes. I bought it actually a couple months ago. It was like pandemic buying, you know, bike stuff. They were all out. So it's not too dusty then. No, it's not too bad. But thank you so much. We very much appreciate your time. We know you are super busy. We know you have a lot of work to do. And you have a lot of people that want you and your attention and your time. So thank you very much. And we hope everyone enjoys it. Yeah, well, thank you ladies and it was a pleasure seeing you again and talking to you and have a great uh, rest of your day. Dr. Ben Roster really has had an amazing career in education. I can only imagine all of the students and staff that he's been able to impact over the years serving in all those capacities he spoke about. I like just three words to describe himself, reflective, passionate, focused. I like to think I'm reflective too, so that really resonated with me. Kate, you're very reflective. Sure am. <laughs> I'll think about that. <laughs> And you know, Dr. Wim Rochelle was really super generous with his time. We asked him a lot of questions. And then of course, our amazing Anne-Marie went in and threw more questions in. <laughs> and he graciously and thoughtfully answered them. So we're really thankful for his time. That does sound like Anne-Marie. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. B. And thank you listeners for pressing play on another episode of CNUSD EdChat. You can find other episodes on SoundCloud, or on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. CNUSD EdChat is co-produced by Anne-Marie Cortez, Dr. Ivy Ewell-Eldridge, Kim Kemmer, and me, Kate Jackson, and is edited by Ken Pucci. We'll see you next time. Bye. See you later.